you're about to enter the world of Strawberry Ice and the Ice Cave. Let's go! You know, league, the league rule was you're not really supposed I'll to take him out of that conversation. And that. Man, he started from absolute scratch. I would draft Aziz Ojolari or any, any uh, nobody's doing seven step drops in playing, right you know, playing tackle for him. So right. It's almost 22 years old. Devonta Smith, same thing. You, you, you just can't. You, you can't do that. You can't do that. I thought that 2010 that should be in the Hall of Fame and they put him in after he is gone. Well, that's to fill the stadium. I, I, I remember you guys saying that. It's crazy. So. I, I see that he's taken uh, the non. But overall, that that line wasn't better. No, um, I, you know, they still... you know, he's talking to the refs and, and saying, "Hey, I'm not going to get those calls." He's, he's coming. He, he, what, he's oh, yeah. coming. And he'd be in section 158 with me. So we're these guys have learned basically since they've been in the major leagues. Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to the show. This is Sports with Strawberry Ice. I'm your host, the Iceman, Jeff Trenopole. And as always, I'm bringing you sports from a west side point of view right here in the great city of Cincinnati, Ohio, home of the Cincinnati Reds. We're only five games out of first place and they're only two and a half out of the wild card. So it's not over yet, Reds fans. We'll see what happens today. They have the Battle of Ohio, the end of it tonight. They got to make up that rain delay. Uh, a rain canceled game uh, that's on tonight at uh, six ten. So just watch me and then go to the show. Now, if you found the show, do me a favor, hit that like and subscribe button, smash that thumbs up. I'm up to one thousand two hundred and ninety six subscribers. That is awesome. I appreciate every single one of you guys. Now, as always, if you're watching on Facebook or Twitter, do me a favor, go to the YouTube channel. If you haven't subscribed yet, hit that uh, word for subscription to make it change colors. Hit the bell for notifications, and then if you want us to support what i'm doing we also have the super chats which are exclusively in the youtube channel you give you a super chat i'll pop it right up and we'll get it going now this show and every show is brought to you by t properties t properties quality housing for quality people check out their website at www.tpropertiesllc.com for all your rental property management needs and your rental needs all right guys we got one of my favorite guys to have on the show some people call him the the, I think Crypt Keeper calls him the Bengal Brain. I think that's what he calls him. But you can check him out with his uh, co-host, Anthony Cazenza, on the Orange and Black Insider Podcast. He also writes for Cincy Jungle. He's none other than John Sheeran. Hey, John, what's going on, man? Nothing much, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. No problem. I, I always uh, I always like having you on the show. Like I said, I, I think it's Crypt Keeper who calls you, calls you the Bengal Brain or calls you the Brain. I can't remember. Something like I'm that. Gonna, I'm gonna have to put that on my LinkedIn, actually. <laughs> exactly, John the Brain Sheeran. Yo, if, I could be like you know, if you were uh, a wrestling fan back in the uh, the days, was Bobby the Brain Heenan. So you could be John the Brain Sheeran. There you go. I don't know. I just, I'm the Ice Man. You're the Brain. There you go. <laughs> huh, show's already going off the rails already, man. <laughs> so, what's been going on with you? Have you uh, have you been able to keep up with the Bengals at all? I mean, I know I know you're a very busy man. Yeah, it's been interesting kind of following everything on social, like go back to 2019 when I was down at camp for basically every practice the first year of Zach Taylor's tenure. Then last year, obviously, with COVID, no one was allowed in camp. There was no preseason. All we had was basically like the training camp reports. Now, this year is kind of like a hybrid. There's been a couple of open to, to the public practices, but obviously media has been allowed to be there and report on everything. I have not been down at camp and haven't seen anything with my own two eyes, but, you know, it's been 
been interesting following everything with you know, Burrow's recovery and the draft class and stuff. So it's been a lot of, I guess, ups and downs, maybe a little bit of more of a roller coaster than we expected. Yeah, yeah. I've been down to every practice. Well, I've been on the bridge, you know, the Bengals, <laughs> Bengals bridge crew is what I call it. But yes, or not yesterday. Was I yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. I actually got to go to uh, the Bengals practice and I got to see him up close and personal. And I thought they, Burrow, I thought Burrow looked pretty good. And I didn't get to see any of the highlights of the practice on Saturday, but I heard he did really well. And hopefully a lot of people will calm down about Joe Burrow. And, you know, I think everybody expects him to, to you know, walk on water and be, you know, perfect every single time. And it hasn't been the case. And, John, how many times have we heard this throughout the years of training camp where the defense is ahead of the offense? I think that's in every NFL camp. So that's one of the reasons I haven't been worried about Burrow in the offense. But what's your thoughts on how the, how the offense is done and how the defense is looking? So the perception of Burrow has always been fascinating to me because people found out about him in 2019 when he could literally do no wrong and was playing at a perfect level at a school where no one ever expected a quarterback to play that well. So then he comes to Cincinnati and there's the expectation of him just picking up where he left off at LSU. And now we fast forward to now. And I think the biggest issue has been, you know, for the first time since that injury eight and a half months ago, he's in pads and dealing with pressure and dealing with processing in the pocket. And even to a guy like Joe Burrow, who can probably turn uh, water into wine, you know, it's, there's still (laughs) an an adjustment period, right? Like, right. Right. Anybody who has, that type of surgery who's recovering from that type of injury, they'll tell you that, you know, there, there is a, you know, call it a minor or major fear of re-injuring or just, just past memories of, of what happened and hoping that it doesn't happen to the other leg. So even with a guy who is mentally as tough as Burrow is, there is always going to be something to the extent of that. And I think there was just a collective realization that, okay, this guy's human to this extent too. But also I think it's interesting because like the biggest thing was him just readjusting and reacclimating himself to handling pressure and dealing with, you know, stuff going on in the pocket and making those decisions like he used to. Even last year when the offense line was, you know, trashed, like he wasn't the greatest against pressure in the first place. There were right. a lot of mistakes that he made, either holding the ball too long or taking some sacks or not making the best decisions, throwing the ball down the field. So he wasn't exactly perfect in these situations last year, despite how well he did in LSU. There was an adjustment period as a rookie, and now there's an adjustment period coming back from this injury. So that, that should have probably been expected, but considering, you know, the perception and the legend that Burrow already is, I guess it's not too surprising that people thought it would just click just like that right when he got back. Right. And and that, that brings you to, to the, the release of the depth chart today. Like Russ, Russ Int, I think that's how you say, he says, I don't care what anybody says, I'm not liking the depth chart. <laughs> and with, with that being said, um, Michael Jordan is listed as the, number one starting uh, right guard. And Jax Carmen is on the third string. Seraphia is behind him. I mean, again, to me, it's early in camp. I don't think it means a hill of beans, to be honest. I think it means, you know, they got to throw what, another month of, of practices and everything until we get to the first game. But what, I don't know, what's your thoughts on, on Michael Jordan uh, being the number one guard uh, on a you know, right, right guard, I should say, for the Bengals as of right now? So that's, kind of what it should be because that's where he's been practicing of late i think he's been taking the starting reps at right guard after suafila was taking them when they kind of i guess benched jackson carmen for too many mistakes it started off 
with Suafilo at that position and everyone was freaking out that Carmen wasn't taking those reps. And then Carmen was being rotated in there and he's been kind of up and down. And then I guess he had too many false starts or whatever as they put Suafilo back in there. And they had Michael Jordan in there for the last couple of practices. So the depth chart, at least the first one, should be a reflection of what is currently happening in practice. And at least in that sense, it is accurate, as well as Quinn Spain being the starter left guard. He's not, he hasn't been uh, playing recently because of a minor injury, but I think that is going to be cleared up this week and he's going to be back out there. So that's right. He's starting a left guard, but I, I, I especially look back towards the Marvin Lewis days where the, the death charts were always a joke. It was, mm, it was right. so clearly put together by someone who like barely knows what's going on or they're just getting <laughs> notes from the coaches. Like, honestly, I, I woke up this morning and I saw a tweet from, from Hayden Winks, who is a writer for, a, I believe, yeah. um, I, I can't think of the website name, no, but like I, he was, he I, was talking about on my show. Yeah. I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was talking about like it, it's it's death chart day, I guess, and it's like he made a joke about like some intern he's getting paid five dollars a month putting <laughs> putting these together for these teams, which right. is kind of honestly what it I expected to yeah. be. Like you look at the rest of the death chart, you have a Denergy, a backup left tackle. He's not going to play at all this year. Fred Johnson's <laughs> listed as the backup right tackle. He hasn't practiced at training camp at all. You have Travion Williams and Jocko's Patrick ahead of Chris Evans at running back. Like like this thing is not hundred percent accurate. But people look at Michael Jordan at right guard and they are immediately scared because he, there's a stigma attached to him and they haven't really been hearing about what he's done in training camp. They don't really know, I guess, the current version of Michael Jordan yet. So, I mean, it's the first depth chart. It doesn't mean that much until they, the, the team itself starts playing. But I can understand the reaction because they only know of one Michael Jordan and it's the Michael Jordan that got Joe Burrow hurt. Right, exactly. Now, that, that's that uh, brings you to the other uh, You haven't been at, at camp. I actually have been at camp and I... <laughs> I haven't been able to, to pay attention to Michael Jordan, to be honest, because where am I? I'm at about the bridge, but Nacho wants to know, has Michael Jordan shown any significant growth during camp? I mean, I would say, I, I would say yes, because he is being put at the starting uh, guard position. I, you know, you would think he's made some growth, which I mean, he's, he worked with, a uh, worked with Willie Anderson a little bit in the off season uh, this year too. So I don't know how long I, I remember I was on uh, Ace and Zim's, show uh the civil war and willie said he's only there for a week but he was planning on coming back i don't know if he ever made it back out there to work with willie or not but willie is uh is a, is a michael jordan fan i mean he's trying to trying to help him out so i mean i can't answer that to be honest if he's made uh significant growth at all during camp i, I don't know have you heard anything about michael jordan and his play there uh, john not necessarily. I think we've only seen some sparing um, highlights or just clips in general of offensive line play. And I think for the most part, people have said it's not looking, it's not looked tremendously good, but that's probably attributed to what we talked about earlier. The defense is usually ahead of the offense and right. that involves the defensive line, just getting it after it. And it was only just a couple practices ago that offensive line, that the offense itself could make checks and audibles at the line and you know, be in a more game actual simulation type situation. So you know, whenever you have an offensive line that's shuffling out players constantly from first and second string because nothing's really finalized, there's always going to be some communication errors, and that leads to, unfortunately, some bad reps, especially when you don't really know who the starters are going to be at either guard spot. But I think we heard a lot about Jordan's progress or at least um, just challenge to overcome the adversity that was put upon him last year. And I think for the most part, he's he's reportedly handled it pretty well. He 
just kind of made over made up his body or made over his body. I remember I can't really get the words out with that, but he <laughs> I think he dropped down a bunch of weight and you added on some muscle right. there, which he definitely needed considering what he wasn't good at as a pass protector. But we don't we don't really know that much about Michael Jordan until we're gonna see him on Saturday against Vita Vey and and um and Dominican Sue. Like if anything, like th- this is honestly a, a decent scenario to be in if you're a Bengals fan because you're you're having Michael Jordan being thrown out there against the Wolves in the first string against the defending Super Bowl champs. And if he handles it, great. It, apparently he has made some progress. If he hasn't there's no way Frank Pollock's going to leave him in here in there as the starter in week two if he if he plays like the Michael Jordan of old. So right away, you're going to find out how much progress Michael Jordan has actually made. And you're not going to have to wait around to week one to find out. Exactly. Exactly. Another another interesting thing. And, and I really like this kid when they draft him out of East Carolina is uh, Deontay Smith. I, I think he could be not next. Maybe not next year. Maybe the year after that, but could potentially be the right tackle replacement for Riley Reef. I just I like his his footwork and stuff that I've seen. Not that I'm anywhere of an expert. I'm just a fan, but I, but the kid moves really quickly and really well for a big guy, but he, he is uh, actually the backup at left guard, which I, I thought was kind of surprising. I think he only played uh, one game in college at uh guard. So, and like, again, it's, it's the first step. Tra- it's not, you know, none of it really means anything. It's just more of conversation, but I think that goes to how uh, Deontay Smith, the progress he's made, you know, because, with Akeem Adeniji, with his injury, we needed somebody to step up, or hopefully if the Bengals can go pick up somebody, which is well, I'm still hoping they'll do for some more depth. But uh, what's your thoughts on on, uh, on Deontay Smith? So he was at guard, I believe, for some reps in the Senior Bowl, which is, I think, when the Bengals first like really took a notice of him. So he was at tackle and I think both guard spots of the Senior Bowl, and he, I think he had one of the highest win rates for a pass blocker during the senior bowl drills according to pff's data so like he obviously showed out there and that's when he, they really he really got their attention and then i think they interviewed him and they really liked what he had to say and stuff and that obviously led to them drafting him in the fourth round but you know the guy only played one game in his last year at ecu and that was when he was like 270 pounds now he's the 320 pound guy who again is, is he needs a, as many reps as possible like right. aside from jamar chase there's no rookie in this class that just needs experience getting back into football, considering the last time that they really played over a long extended period of time. But the first time we heard about Deontay Smith in this camp, he was out there right tackle when Riley Reef wasn't playing and Sam Hubbard was just beating him like a drum. Yes, he was. So, yep. so obviously like they didn't, they didn't see what they needed to see at right tackle. So, right. you know, they still have a, you know, a, a carousel going on at left guard. Let's see what the guy can do there. We saw him, you know, succeed at, at that point um, at that position in, in the senior bowl back in January. Might as well see what he has th- there. And apparently there's been some progress there. If he's the second string left guard right now behind Quinn Spain, who's going to get a ton of looks um, on, on Saturday against Tampa Bay. And we'll just kind of see what he is because right now we don't really know what he is. He has the body type for a traditional tackle, which I think is why they valued him where they valued him. But if he has this positional versatility, it's obviously good news for him, not only confirming his roster spot, but confirming his being active on game days. Because if you can play multiple positions, there's no reason why you should be on the bench. Exactly. Or, no, street they- clothes. Yeah, exactly. One thing I will say, uh, Sam Hubbard has played like a man possessed in in uh, training camp. Again, it's training camp, and I'm not trying to overstate, you know, because I was out there out here, you know, saying, you know, just everybody calm down about Joe Burrow. He's going to be fine. I'm not trying to overstate how much Sam Hubbard, how good Sam Hubbard has looked. But Sam Hubbard has looked really well and really good in, in practice. And, again, we're talking about practice. But I think this is a – this might be a motivational year for Hubbard with him getting the, the contract and some people saying 
that he didn't deserve that much money, which I actually think it was a really good signing money-wise for the Bengals and for, for Hubbard because I think he left as a free agent. You're looking at he's probably getting 17 to $18 million. They got him for 10 a year. So that, I don't think that was a bad uh, signing for him. But uh, I think we have a, a shot, if you can stay healthy, of having a breakout year this year. What, what's your thoughts on Hubbard uh, going to, to the season? I really don't know like how much better – Sam Hubbard can be because he's already a, a pretty good player in, in itself. Like I, I think Joe Goodberry has said this multiple times, like Michael Johnson was always a reasonable career trajectory path for him. Not a dominant pass rusher by any means, right. but a guy who can get, you know, some cleanup and effort sacks and just be a, a quality run defender in terms of being a quality run defender. There's only a handful of other defensive ends right. who are more productive in that sense. So getting a guy like that for $10 million a year, and when you're talking two years down the road, the salary cap's going to go to a billion dollars. Like the, the value is going to be there over the mm-hmm. long run and keeping him, you know, in stripes for until like he's like 28, 29 years old. But I think if, as long as the rest of the, of the defensive line is healthy, I think it obviously bodes well for him. He doesn't have to take on as much of a pass rushing responsibility as last year when they had yeah. just, just corpses yeah. out there at defensive tackle. But that's, right. that's honestly like my biggest question with this group. Like I think the depth and the overall talent level is amongst the highest on the team, which may be more, of an indictment on the rest of the team, but there's not really one guy that they have. There's not really one proven guy out there that they can say, Hey, it's second and long. It's third down. Go win this assignment, go win this one-on-one and get a pressure, get a sack. Like they, they had that for years with Geno Atkins. They had that last year with Carl Austin. They don't really have that known commodity on the team right now. They hope it's Trey Hendrickson and they hope it's Sam Hubbard. So if there is a year for Sam Hubbard to have that breakout year as a pass rusher, it's this year, because I kind of do agree with you. If he had waited until next free agency and he if he had a full 17 game season he gets like i don't know six seven sacks and retains his status as a dominant run defender i think he could have made a lot more than what he made this year yeah i i I, that's 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 what i said i'm like because people people like oh that's too much money he oh he doesn't uh he doesn't get that many sacks i'm like i said but he's a very very good run defend run defend player and like I said, if he leaves, somebody else is going to pay him more money. I, I, I guarantee that. But he was also like he was out for half last year. Yes, and he was yeah. terrible as a pass rusher for like the first eight weeks. And mm-hmm. he put together some good games. And he was still like he wasn't fully healthy. I think until like week nine or ten or something like that. Right, so exactly. unfortunately, he lost a lot of money for what he did last year. Right. Well, only thing I'll get back to what you're saying about the 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 talent. I guess on the defensive side of the ball, I, I, and the part that I'm excited about is I, I, the 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 de- I would love to still have Carl Lawson, but the depth that we have as guys who we could do on the rotation for the pass for the pass rush, which is the H boys, uh, Hubbard and Hendrickson, and then I'm really excited to see uh, Jack or uh, uh, Joseph Osai and Drew Sample. I think those and that's a big get. I've said this on the show a couple of times. It's a big get to ask rookies to come in and make huge contributions, but it, it can't happen. But I don't. I, I think they're in a good spot with because they're not starters. They could be rotational guys and, and come in. You know, they can move both can play inside and outside, so you can move them around a lot. So I think we this is the most depth that Lou has had, and actual talent wise to have guys who can actually drop back into coverage instead of trying to get uh, Carlos Dunlap to do it, who was awful at it. So I think Lou has the best talent and the most depth he's had probably the three years he's been here on, on as a defense quarter. So I think he's got the best chance to get done what he's trying to get done on defense what, what's your thoughts on, on the defense and and Joseph Asai and Sample and all that stuff 
In terms of a sigh, like obviously if Jamar Chase plays well, that's impactful. If Jackson Carmen manages to get to the starting lineup, that's impactful. Joseph Asai, I think, has gone under the radar in terms of what type of impact that he can have because, like we talked about, they, they don't have a known dominant pass rusher on, in their rotation right now. But if you're looking at Asai as potentially having the same role as 2017 Carl Lawson did when he played like 400, 500 snaps, and the vast majority of that is on passing downs. If you can provide that spark as an edge rusher and not necessarily rack up 10 sacks like Lawson did as a rookie, but just get in the backfield and just get get some one-on-one uh, wins against tackles around the edge. Like he has the athleticism to do that. It's all a matter of getting him out on the field and doing it as much as possible because he's only done it for one full year at Texas. He's still 21 years old, but I think we're already hearing about he's just causing havoc against the second team offensive line. Yes. But if he's mm-hmm. doing it against Jonah Williams and Riley Reef in practice, getting some more uh, experience against the ones, I think that would be fantastic for the defense. Like we don't really know what this third down pass rushing unit is going to look like. I think we can assume that Hendrickson and Hubbard can be moved inside a little bit. They can use Cam Sample inside as well because he has the body type for that. But that's going to be where you're going to see a lot of Osai at probably either side of the formation. But right. getting him involved and in, in getting a productive rookie season out of him, that would do wonders for the defense because, again, pass rush was just non-existent last year, and that's exactly why they drafted him. And they don't know that Hendrickson is going to – they don't know for sure if Hendrickson is going to be that that same guy that he was in New Orleans, and they haven't really seen that to, to that extent from Hubbard yet. So Osai, just his addition in there – can make such a tremendous impact because they don't have another athlete like him on the on the on the defensive line. Yeah, exactly. Because there are a lot of the the rep against Hendrickson is that he cleaned up a lot of the sacks. You know, he didn't create them, but he still got them and he got you know got the quarterback down. So that's why some people are kind of saying that it might be a downgrade from from Lawson to to Hendrickson because because of that. Now, but my thing is. Lawson a lot last like I said, and you gotta give Lawson a break because he was really he was he was the only pass rusher we had. He would get to the quarterback and couldn't get him down. So hopefully, if we have enough guys going in there, you know, get, getting to the quarterback, somebody will get him down. That, would, <laughs> that that hopefully has to happen. That's what I'm kind of hoping with the the rotation because I don't think we really had a, a a rotation like this. And I'm not comparing them. I'm just saying as far as the potential. And since like 2015, we had uh, you know you had Michael Johnson, you had, you had uh, Gino, and you had uh, Carlos Dunlap, and uh, there's some other guy I can't remember who Gilbert. We had, yes, Gilbert. Yeah, we had other guys, multiple guys coming in that you could you could bring in fresh guys is what I'm what I'm getting as fresh guys coming in and keep going after the quarterback. And I think we actually had that this year with with, with the depth with the two rookies and the H boys. Right. And I mean, Larry Ogunjobi, unfortunately, is still nursing a hamstring injury. But just compared to last year when you had like at this point, only two healthy defensive tackles, you had to bring in Mike Daniels almost out of retirement to get him from from Detroit. So like compared to where they were last year and I guess the last two years, it's it's much better. Obviously, if you know things have worked out between Gino and and Carlos and they're, they're still playing at a decent level, that would that would make a difference. But considering, you know, what happened with them and what it could have been like, they made the effort to invest in this position group and they put their money where their mouth is. Spent another third round pick. They spent two fourth round picks on it this year. Like they have the bodies there. And fortunately right now they're healthy and that health is going to matter, you know, in November, December when they, if they actually have depth. Exactly. Now I got a question here from orange arrow. He said, uh, I haven't heard anything like this, but uh, did Carmen Jackson, or did Carmen, excuse me, have issues uh, with laziness in Clemson? Heard that today, but not sure the truth of it. I, I haven't I haven't heard that. I, I, have you heard anything about laziness or anything from him at Clemson? 
The only thing that comes to mind, so he he, he played at Fairfield High School in, in Cincinnati, and I right. believe he was he was already a big kid in, in Fairfield. He was like well over three hundred something pounds. He got to Clemson, I believe, at like three hundred seventy pounds, and he was a starter pretty pretty soon. I, I don't know off the top of my head if he was a true freshman starter, but he did play multiple years protecting Trevor Lawrence's blindside, and he entered the draft at like twenty twenty one years old. So he was playing in there, you know, well over three hundred pounds as an eighteen nineteen year old kid. And he worked a lot to get his weight down to like 330, I think it was his playing weight in his last year at Clemson. Then he was like 317 for, for the offseason. So the only thing I heard was that his weight fluctuated a lot and he, mm-hmm. he did put in the work to bring it down. But I, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but like some some like anonymous scouts and douchebags, they like they knock prospects for being, you know, yeah. great in, in the kitchen, like having a passion for cooking because like, right. oh, that's not gonna go well. Like they're gonna get, put on unnecessary weight, they're not gonna keep weight. For, for as much as I've heard, like Carmen, like Deontay Smith has done a lot to kind of reshape his body and get into the proper playing weight for what he has to do. So I haven't heard anything in terms of maturity issues, but anytime that you have a guy who was a multi-year starter and he's just 21 years old, like he had to grow up, you know, to really earn that role and keep that role. So I think that honestly bodes well for where his maturity is, but still he's 21 years old. We all remember, you know, what we were at 21 years old for all we, for all we know, he's a good kid. And it's just there's always an adjustment period for in, you know, going from even a program like Clemson to the NFL. Like there's a level that you have to be you just have to be committed every single day. And, you know, I, I understand why Frank Pollock and Taylor and his staff would probably rely more on a veteran like a Xavier Suofilo or Michael George just to get, you know, these reps done in the right way and let Carmen kind of ease into it and, and kind of learn from them. So I haven't heard anything specifically about maturity issues, but I can understand you know, where that may come from considering his background and his age. Right. Exactly. And and the thing is, if, if to, to kind of go on top of what you just said, if he had these maturity issues or whatever, and he didn't work hard, I don't think he would have started for at least three out of the four years. He was there. Did he start all four years or just three? I know, I know uh, he was only three year players. So he started most three. So, so yeah, if I don't think he, so people are going to say stuff because, Everybody expects, well, especially the people who wanted to draft Sewell are going to say, we should have drafted Sewell, see where where we're at. But the thing is, you got to look at, too, is he's learning a new position. He's going from from tackle to guard. He's never played guard. He's never played a a snap in the NFL. So he's learning a new position. So it's going to take him a little while. And Frank Pollock, I think, is more old school. Where I just have a feeling he's going to, make him earn it. And this is something I keep bringing this up almost every time we talk about this, but I think this is a really good point that Paul Daner Jr. brought up on my, on my show a week or so ago. And he said he wouldn't be surprised if uh, Sir Phileas starts, even though they have Michael Jordan start right now, but uh, the Sir Phileas started in the first game against Minnesota, because we all know Zim. He's a the Minnesota head coach. He used to be our defense coordinator. He's going to go find that rookie and go that guy. Go get him, you know. So maybe the first game playing in the NFL and your first game playing guard, maybe going against a Mike Zimmer defense might not be the best thing to do. But I don't know. I mean, I, I think Frank Pollock's going to make the best decision for him. And just put it this way: I like it. They're making him earn it. They're just not handing it to him, you know. Right, and we only have like one year of data or I guess history to look back with Pollock here and he had Billy Price you know starting at center as a rookie and he dealt with injuries unfortunately but at a certain point they put in Trey Hopkins at center like the midway through the season 
And then Pollock didn't go back to Price, you know, at center. Even when, even when Hopkins was playing well, they kept Hopkins in there. And that was ended up being the right move because now Hopkins right. is a solid center. Like he was the start of of that a career change, I guess, for, for Hopkins. And now it's unfortunately put Price where, where he is now. So if he has Michael Jordan out there on Saturday and Vita Vea and Ndamukong Sue put him on skates and he looks like the Michael Jordan of right. the last two years, I just it, it's hard to see. Jordan retaining that spot going forward, unless unfortunately Suafilo and Carmen are equally as bad or worse, right. which would be the worst case scenario and would warrant you know the 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 cries for help and the outrage that we're currently seeing on Bengals Twitter right now. But we don't know if that's the case because again, we just haven't seen anything. Like there's only been a handful of padded practices. There hasn't been a game yet. There's a long way to go with this. I even re- I referenced the first depth chart of the 2019 um, offseason in in August of that year. It had um, John, John Jerry at left guard and Billy Price at center and Michael Jordan and Trey Hopkins ended up winning those battles because right. those were the handful of positions that were up for grabs up until the end of the end of the training camp and preseason. And that's exactly what the guard spots here. But everything that we've heard is that not, neither of these spots are finalized until week one. And it's probably going to be that way. Obviously, they would want to get it done sooner than later, but odds are it's going to take that amount of time to really figure out where they want to go with this. And I guess right guard has more of a competition because they probably like Spain more than their options at right guard. But Jordan's going to get the first first chance, but that doesn't mean that he's going to get the final chance too. Yeah, and I, I like the point that you keep bringing up is they have to find out what they have in, in Michael Jordan and, and you know if he's worth moving forward as starter or backup or whatever. And because one thing I, I think, uh, I can't remember, it was an article on uh, Sissy Jungle, and I cannot remember who wrote it. It was about the depth chart. Uh, and one thing that I think they might be trying to figure out too is if they're going to keep Serfilia because he's owed 1.3 million, I think, or something. He's owed more money. That's a lot of money for the Bengals to pay for a backup guard. So Michael Jordan's cheaper. <laughs> so you know that might be uh, an option too. They want to pay Serfilia that much money to be a backup. But getting back to your point, that I, I think it's a, a great opportunity and for the Bengals to find out if Michael Jordan has gotten any better, you know, put all the work in and done all this stuff and going against the Super Bowl champ, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's going to, it's going to be a challenge for him. So it, it is definitely going to be a, we'll find out where he's at. I think pretty quickly in this game. I would agree. Yeah. So let's get to, um, you guys had me or actually, excuse me. Anthony had me on, uh, uh his show, the water cooler chat a couple weeks ago. You guys were getting ready to do your, um, um, oh my goodness, I can't think of the word now. Uh, for a cha- charity show, geez, all of a sudden mm-hmm. I had a, a brain cramp. But you did, guys did a charity show last week, I think it was, and it was for the Ken Anderson Alliance, um, Ken Rowley, and uh, Anthony Munoz as well. So, how how is that going? How much money have you guys raised? And if people are still wanting to donate, tell them where they can do that because I think it's still open. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. So, a couple weeks ago, we started the OBI Bengals podcast charity fest. It was a live show that we did two weeks ago. We had both Ken Anderson and Ken Riley on to talk about, or Ken Riley the second to talk about um, the, the ring of honor, which includes Ken Anderson and Riley's father, you know, talk about that and also talk about their respective foundations, the Ken Anderson Alliance based here in Cincinnati and the Ken, Ken Riley foundation based in central Florida 
for the, the respective things that they do. And then last week we had Anthony Munoz on to talk about obviously his induction in the Ring of Honor and the Anthony Munoz Foundation, which is also based in the greater Cincinnati area. And we started a GoFundMe to basically honor these three these three um, players and, the, and their respective foundations uh, under their namesake. So we have a GoFundMe set up right now. Um, it has raised at this point just under $1,200, so $1,199, including from the, from the guy next to me, Jeff. He was one of the first uh, donations, so I, I thank him for being a part of it and also bringing it up and raising awareness. We're going to leave it open, uh, I think, for the remainder of this week. We had an original goal of $2,021 to honor the first season that this team wins the Super Bowl, but even if we don't make that, like we're going to donate 100% of these pr- proceeds to all three of these charities, equal donations, and I, I'm just really appreciative of how much that's been shared, how much it's, it's been contributed to, and just just really happy that this was as much of a success as it was. And we hope to continue doing this for the for the other for the future Ring of Honor inductions. We're gonna try to honor you know other uh, former players' foundations if they get inducted into the Ring of Honor. Can't kind of keep this going to just raise awareness for these foundations and these charities. Yeah, it was it was a really cool cool show because you, you had Ken Anderson on there and you had Ken. Riley the second on there who I've had Ken Riley the second on here a couple of times. Never had Ken Anderson. I'd like to get him on, on here sometime. But to to listen to those guys talk about the charities and what it means to them and, and what they, they benefit, it, it's it's it they're all good causes. I mean, and that, that's what that's what's cool about these players that we are honoring with our, our ring of honor. They like including Anthony Moon, so all three of them, uh, Paul Brown obviously, but the three players, all three of them have had roots here. I know Ken uh, Riley actually lives down or lived down in Florida, but he still kept his roots in Cincinnati and, and, and was involved in this community and, and, and helping it. Same thing with Ken, like Ken Anderson just had the, uh, he opened a coffee shop up, I think in Silverton, mm-hmm. I think that's where it is. So, and that, that's for, for, for helping people. I, I don't want to talk wrong. Cause I, I don't remember off the top of my head. What, what do you know what it's for? Yeah, it's so the Canada Nines um, basically helps adults with disabilities, you know, get into the workforce and kind of uh, adapt them in, in society. And Just Brew, the coffee shop, kind of gives them, uh, I think it employs 14 adults with disabilities. So it, it's obviously for a great cause. And that's really what the Canada Anderson Alliance is all about. Yeah, that, that's that's what's cool about it. That's what I, I, I like that we honor these guys because they're not just great football players. They're they're great human beings. They're they're good guys. So that's that's always good. So if you guys ever want to help out, Go to their GoFundMe page, and uh, you can d- donate to all yeah all three uh, uh, charities. You got Ken Anderson, Ken Rallies, and Anthony Munoz. So that brings you to the Ring of Honor and the Hall of Fame. Like I had the Hall of Fame last night, and of course they had a couple of freaking squealers go in, yada yada yada, whatever. And Drew Pearson finally got to go in. So okay, he's done crying now. He finally got in. Hopefully, we're going to hear Ken Rallies' name here very soon. And hopefully for this coming season, and hopefully maybe get some Willie Anderson, uh, get him in there as well. How cool would it be to get both Ken Riley? Because I think I think there's a better shot of Ken Riley right, right now instead of Ken Anderson, because unfortunately because he passed away, I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, and get Willie Anderson. Do you think there's a shot we get two Bengals in? <laughs> you know, so we only have one in. If we get two in at the same time now. Get Willie in and get uh, Ken Riley in. Man, I would be utterly floored if they get two in the same class. I think that's reserved for a handful of organizations. I think you just mentioned one in Pittsburgh. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think Riley should get in sooner sooner than later. Like I think I, I still think Anderson has the best chance overall of getting in. 
but I, I think at this point, like just just with everything that's happened with Riley, I think he has the best chance of getting in. Um, I, I would say he gets in first, but I still think Anderson has a, has a great chance as well. And honestly, I would love to I would love to hear uh, his son's induction speech because yes. you had him on the show. Mm-hmm. We talked with him. He he he's just a great guy, and he speaks. You know, he remembers a lot about his father's career, at least in like the late seventies when he was alive for it. And mm-hmm. he, he's just a great guy to pass down that legacy to. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I saw talk to, to, to Ken the uh, second about, it. I said, you got your speech ready. You got an idea. You know, you know <laughs> he goes, I, I got some ideas. He, he's not trying to get too excited because, you know, they've had, you know, th- they thought he was going to get in last year and that didn't happen. So we got a question here in the chat from uh, Daryl here. He said, um, this is kind of interesting. If Mixon doesn't get it done this year, it's time to look for another featured back. Um, go ahead. I'll, I'll let you answer that one. I, I like I liked your your facial reaction there, John. Go ahead. What, what do you yeah. think about about Mixon? I guess this was a question to ask before they signed him to all that money. Like <laughs> like that right. that contract exists, and right. even though it's not doesn't feature any guaranteed salary outside of the signing bonus, this is the Bengals, and they're going to pay it for at least three of the four years that it, that it exists. So if he doesn't do well this year, he's the starter for 2022 because <laughs> that's, that's the contract that they gave him because they deemed him necessary for the long run, despite all the data that says against that. And obviously with the offensive line being the catalyst for running back success, but that was their decision. And that's the bed that they got to live with. And I mean, I think he's going to have a breakout year, to be honest. And one thing I, I thought was is interesting is I've seen multiple times down there at camp that they have him split it out, split out at wide receiver. And I don't know if I've ever seen him do that. I've seen Mixon do it, and I've seen or not, not Mixon. I've seen uh, uh, Geo do it, but I've seen Mixon take passes out of the backfield. But I don't know if I've ever seen him split out at wide receiver. Is this is this something new, or or has he done this before? Am I, am I just not remembering it? He has done it before. I just don't think he was really targeted that much in it. I, I know last year they implemented some of those looks because that's kind of what LSU did a lot with, under Burrow. They would have Clyde Edwards-Alaire um, wind, lined out wide when they were just in 11 personnel, but they were empty, so they had uh, five options at, at receivers. So if they do it more this year, I would imagine that he might get more involved in the passing game. It's going to be interesting, though, with, with how they handle him on third down with, with no more Giovanni Bernard. It does some Ajay Pirine take those like opportunities and pass protection. He's not going to get a lot of you know chances as a receiver. I think all that's going to go to Mixon. How much responsibility does Mixon have as a pass protecting back on, on those passing downs? I think that's going to be the one thing to really watch for. I don't know if they're going to increase his overall targets in terms of his when he's lined up as a receiver. I think he's going to get more targets out of the backfield as a back, though. Right. Now, where does Chris Evans uh, uh, line up in all this? You think you see you see him as I, I keep calling him a uh, Geo 2.0. Do you, I don't I don't know if he's gonna he's not gonna come in and take you know be the backup. He's gonna be the, you know probably the third string. But where do you see him fitting in of this team as, as a rookie this year? It really is kind of lazy on my part. I've just seeing the number twenty five, like it's almost like kind of skewed my vision because I, <laughs> I watch I watch some of the clips and like yeah this guy kind of does move like the, the old number twenty five. Mm-hmm. I didn't really. We didn't really get to see him in Michigan that much because he barely even played in this right. last year because of the, the whole thing about what happened to him and him getting expelled and going back on the team. So, like, I guess he just fell out of favor with the Michigan staff. But, I mean, the guy's obviously talented. He entered Michigan. I think the first time he took reps in practice, he was at receiver. And I think that's where 
he made a lot of his bank in, in high school and then he basically kind of transitioned to a running back. But I think that natural pass catching ability gives them roster, roster flexibility and obviously make him valuable to be active on game days. I'm not sure how much uh, work on special teams he needs, but I think in terms of adding back that dimension that they lost in Bernard along with Mixon, I think there's obvious value in that, but he does look like a natural receiver. And if Mixon doesn't get some of those snaps lined up at receiver, I would like to see Evans kind of do that a handful of times a game. Now, now that brings you to, to Puka Williams. And I, I think he has been basically moved to the wide receiver uh, uh, position more than, than running back. Is if they're going to keep him, he could be our, our punt returner and maybe our fifth or sixth wide receiver. I, we're, we're, I know a lot of people are excited about him, but I don't know. I, I don't personally know if he's going to make the team or not because I, I know Trent Taylor, I think he's going to be the uh, the uh, punt returner this year, unless you know he gets injured, obviously. Then because I've even seen Tyler Boyd out there taking punts, I'm sure that's just for emergencies or whatever. But where, where do you think Puka uh, fills out in all this? Yeah, I remember. I think Boyd like takes reps at punt returner every offseason, but he never does in the regular season, just because yeah. I think he did it in Pitt, and that, I think that's what like Giovanni Bernard did too, and they never used him there, which right. kind of makes me think like maybe they should like give some of these skill position players more opportunities there, just right. give them a, a little spark. Right. Um, but I guess that's when you know we saw Brandon Tate back there just doing five yards every return. We just wanted something more of a flair of it. But I think with Puka, I, I've talked about this ever since they, they signed him. Like he was really fun to watch at. Big 12 Kansas because it's the Big 12 and it's Kansas. Um, but it's hard to see that type of player at that size succeed as much as he did at running back. You know, right. it's, it's hard for a guy who's 5'9", 170 to take on a, a lot of touches out of out of the backfield like that. And that's why they're kind of transitioning him to more of a slot player, like a gadget player. And I think like that, I think he has value to, to it, right? He's not taking right. on that much of that many blows per game. And I think that's where his athleticism can best be utilized but if it is more of a steeper learning curve which may be the case right now because he just doesn't have as much experience he just may not be completely ready to take on that role this year but yeah i have heard like some of the beat guys say it is a competition between him and trent taylor to make the roster because they're the most of their value is going to be at pump return and on special teams and i just don't think that's really a competition at this point i think trent taylor's probably got that locked down because he does have that experience and puka has the potential and i think darren simmons has spoke to that but you know, the potential has to to be productive when you have another guy who's just better at it at this point. So I still think Puka can make the team, even if he isn't the primary pump returner, because you, you still probably are going to have six receivers and four running backs. And I think Puka can be either that sixth receiver or that fourth running back. I definitely think he can be that fourth running back because the rest of the, the rest of the guys, like they're, they're decent, but they're not anyone that you need to have on the roster. You don't need a Jocko's Patrick. You don't need a Travion Williams if Puka can give you something that those guys can't. So I don't know if it's necessarily a true, you know, either this guy makes it or this guy makes it, but I, I will say that Trent Taylor's probably got the leg up on him on pump return, and it's going to take a great preseason for Puka to make the team in general. Yeah, that's kind of what, 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 uh, what I've been hearing too. Uh, see, uh, Steve Jeanette here says, uh, I saw an article uh, that says Tate and Darius Phillips could be odd men out and possibly trade, given who else is on the roster. Well, what, hmm. that's, I don't know about that. I'm, I don't know if I've I've heard that. I think Tate's gonna be our our fifth wide receiver or excuse me, our fourth wide receiver. I think. What, what do you think? Yeah, like I guess if Tate feels like he deserves a better opportunity, like for example, James Washington, the Pittsburgh. You know, he's like 
wide receiver four for them right now, but he was a second round pick. He was really good in college and he's been somewhat productive in the opportunities that he's had, that he has, he's entering a contract here. He feels like he deserves a, a shot to be more productive and have a bigger role with Tate. Um, I, I think somewhat of a similar case can be made because he has been, you know, slightly productive in his opportunities, but from the Bengals perspective, how much are you really getting for Auden Tate at this point? Like, are you, are you getting more than the sixth, seventh round pick? He was a seventh round pick anyways. Like, are they're not they're not the team that's just going to take a, a net even in terms of like trading the way a player still on the rookie contract unless they're getting like a, a top 100 pick for a career wide receiver four i just don't think there's any value in the Bengals kind of uh, trading him away and i don't really think there's really that much of a market for rod and tate the reality is every team has at least three or four quality receivers aside from maybe like a handful like the lions and saints come to mind like the league is loaded with receiver talent that a guy like Auden Tate for as talented as he may be in that role. He just doesn't have that much of a value, I guess, compared to what maybe Bengals fans kind of think. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, do you think uh, some of the comments in here, and there's three or four about the same thing. We're, we're saying, you know, how last year uh, Tate's agent was, you know, yeah. getting upset, trying to get him traded more playing time. Yada, yada, yada. Do you think anything, any of that is lingering from last year? I wonder how much of that has to do with like John Ross because he was still getting, you know, starting reps and he obviously did nothing with them. And I think right. Tate was, it might've been frustrated. Like, why is this dude, even though he was a first round pick, why is he getting more reps than me? Like I'm obviously more productive. I'm doing something with my opportunity. Like, you know, and, and at that point I, I do understand. I think after that Tate saw more opportunities and Ross was basically regulated to the bench and given these fake injury statuses. So <laughs> I think there, I think there might be more of an understanding between Tate and the coaching staff now, but also you have another first round pick at receiver, so Tate's opportunities aren't necessarily increasing. But I do think that you know he has an understanding of, of his role in the offense. But if he does still still feel that way, you know, if he doesn't want to play for the Bengals, which we haven't heard anything recently with with that, then the Bengals should you know try to honor that and try to get something from him. But I don't think it's as as toxic of a relationship as it supposedly was last year. Exactly. I'll get to Alex. I was reading Alex's comment here. Um, he said, I assume since we haven't heard anything bad about Hopkins and camp so far, we can assume he's all good coming off that ACL and we are solid at center, right? Yes. Yeah, so he's, as far as I know, he's supposed to start game one. That's, have you, have you heard anything differently? John? No, I think, I think at the beginning of camp, he was been given a lot of like, just, he wasn't put in for like 11 on 11 work at, at the beginning, but I think late last week he was starting to take those reps and for we haven't really heard anything bad about it. There's obviously been no medical setbacks. So right. Uh, everything that we've heard, like he's starting to get those reps more. He's I don't I don't know if he's going going to play in the preseason. I think him and Reader were along with like the mm -hmm. Burrow type of yeah. wait and see type exactly. situations. But I, I think yeah, I think I think he's gonna be okay for week one. Yeah, Zach actually uh, pointed out those three guys yeah. as I'm trying to get them to game one, not, you know, not preseason game one. So that, that's he specifically named uh, Hopkins, DJ, and Joe on that. So now everybody's kind of freaking out, I guess. And we talked about a lot at the beginning of the show, you know, the Jackson Carmen and how he's been playing. And before that, they were freaking out about Joe Burrow. Seems like Bengals fans, we got to freak out about something. But it, 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 I think it's funny how it, last week it was all Joe Burrow's not playing good. Did the Bengals ruin Joe Burrow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's did did the Bengals screw up in drafting Jackson Carmen? He's third string. He's all this stuff. I, I just wonder: is this more of how, how how do we 
bridge the gap for people going, you know, it's preseason, it's training camp. It's, it, it's, I'm not gonna say it's gonna be fine. Cause I have no idea what's going to happen with Jackson Carmen, but it's for him to be the third string guy right now. It's not a bad thing. And what's going on with Joe, it's going to get better. So I'm just trying to figure out how we get people to ju- stop getting on the edge and, you know, keep them from jumping off, <laughs> you know, with all this silly stuff, I think. It's all optics relative to expectations. Like I, I've already seen this on Twitter, so yeah. I, I, I don't feel like responsible for speaking into existence because I've already seen it. But unfortunately, Jamar Chase is going to be linked to the offensive line for mm-hmm. a very unfair reason because yeah. it was an opportunity cost situation. They took Chase instead of what a lot of people assume was a sure thing, an offensive line in Panay Sewell. So then when you take Chase, then you have an obligation to address offensive line later. Jackson Carmen was their primary situation with that. And now that primary situation isn't going to see snaps in the preseason until the third or fourth quarter because he's on the third string. There's optics with that. And then fans, they take that and run with it. Oh, my God, this guy's not going to be ready for week one. Why do we waste a draft pick on him? Even though the learning curve for offensive line is greater than any other position on the NFL field, even if there there are plenty of first round picks in recent memory that just aren't good rookies. Like you, you the the less inexperience you have on the offensive line, the better. Like teams don't want to run out of as many rookies as possible, which is why really the crux of the issue was not addressing it before the draft. But that's obviously months behind us now. Right. Like right. Carmen, at the end of the day, is a twenty one year one year old rookie who's learning a new position. Even though that position for the long term may be better for the type of player and the type of body type that he has. But still, he is a rookie, and there is a learning curve. There's an adjustment period. It is hard for rookie offensive linemen to come in and be starting quality caliber players. And if this is just the way that they have to do it, then it's the way they have to do it. Yeah, exactly. And um, the the only part that I'm I'm not worried about the starters. I think Frank Pollock is going to get the starters, the best five guys out there, uh, week one. I'm more worried about the the depth. You know. Because we've talked about how how uh, Deontay Smith is is uh, the the first or second backup at, at guard right now, um. That that that's my concern is if somebody gets hurt, you know, which we had a lot of injuries last year. Do you see the Bengals? You think they're gonna wait till like at the end of camp? Because you know, always at the end of camp, somebody gets cut that I didn't expect, or you know, or, or something. Do you think the Bengals are waiting for that to try to kind of fix the depth issues with the offensive line, or or, or you think they're Good where they're at. I mean, where, where do you think they're at with the depth of the off- offensive line? Well, they could always be better. Like, they could have been better for the past four years. Um, like, I, I think the the identity injury hurts, and Fred Johnson being out right now doesn't help. Um, I think they might they're, – they're probably like one injury, maybe maybe one or two away from addressing it like they did with defensive line last year. Like, they, they could not wait. Like, for as – they could not wait to address that last year. Like they had to sign some bodies there and they did, they did it with Daniels and a couple of other guys that during camp. So there has been past um, uh, points of, of urgency. If a position group is dismantled with injuries, I think right now, like, like I think they signed Gunnar Vogel for the sole purpose of being a reserve tackle for the loss of identity. And they got back as Isaiah Prince, who apparently is doing pretty well at second team left tackle. So I think if like, a guy like, I don't know, like if, if Billy Price goes down or if like Xavier Suofilo goes down with an extended injury, I think then like like a player of that caliber, I think then you would start to see them look look towards, you know, who's available and who, who can, they can make a waiver claim towards. If not, like I think best case scenario, Fred Johnson comes back 
next week he has a healthy preseason and then they're just good to go for the regular season. And I think this group of guys they have right now, I think they can find nine or 10 guys on the roster that they would not mind having on the roster. And I don't think there's going to be an urgency to look out for the waiver wire because unfortunately players do get cut and there are players that become available at the end of training camp, but there's just such a premium for offensive linemen that you just rarely see other roster caliber offensive linemen available for another team to pick up unless it's like a really unique type of situation. So unfortunately everyone needs offensive linemen, no matter how good your offensive line is. And that's just the unfortunate reality with it. So I I don't know anything about this guy, to be honest, but John Wood just said Drake Jackson just got waived by Detroit. What's what's your, do you know anything about, about him or anything like that? The name sounds familiar, but I don't know enough. Uh, Oh, you play, play for Kentucky. That makes sense. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> no wonder I don't know who he play, who, who he played for or who he is then. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I I said I I don't know if that's somebody they could pick up or not. I'm not I'm not familiar w- with him at, at all to be honest. But um, I know some people talk about Billy Price or whatever on here, and I, I've seen him down there, and unfortunately, I've seen him getting blown up. <laughs> he has not looked good uh, at all to be honest for me. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't make the team this year, but. I don't know. We, we we'll see what happens. I mean, it's either way. He's not gonna be. He's not gonna be our team next year. But um, if you let Price go, then who are you gonna replace him with? That's that's kind of where I'm at. They gotta have some other people to replace him with. Anyway, it is almost six thirty. John, you have given me almost an hour. I appreciate it. Tell everybody where they can follow you. Tell everybody about the the charities that uh, uh, the Orange and Black Insider Podcast is uh, trying to support. What you guys got going on before you leave? Absolutely. So again, you can find. All of my work and everything on CincyJungle.com. We do the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast every Wednesday at 8.30, um, including the water cooler chat that Jeff was on a couple weeks ago. That's usually on a Monday and Tuesday. And you can go to GoFundMe.com backslash 2021 OBI Bengals podcast charity fest. Again, we're up to $1,200 in donation. We want to get as many as we can for the rest of the week. And again, 100% of those proceeds are going to the Ken Anderson Alliance, going to the Anthony Munoz Foundation, going to the Ken Riley Foundation in honor of the inaugural Ring of Honor class. Every penny counts. 100% is going to it. It's not going to me or Anthony. I promise you that your money will be well will, will be well spent in that regard. So definitely um, donate if you haven't already, or just spread the word to someone who wants to donate. You're also giving away stuff too, aren't you? From from that too, or did, right. is that already? So we have, I think, about 30 donors, and I think every single one of them is going to get a prize. We have sunglasses. We have uh, shirts from the Canaris Alliance. We have Cincy Jungle shirts, Orange and Black Insider merch, uh, koozies, cup holders, stuff like that. So, you know, just small tokens of gratitude from our part to kind of help accelerate this thing and get to where it is. So everybody always wants cool stuff, so I figured, you know, give, give a shout out there. But anyway, John, I, was, I, I love you guys' show. You, you and Anthony do a, an outstanding job. And I enjoy your articles uh, when you you do write them on uh, uh, Cynthia Jungle. And other than that, I, again, I appreciate you coming on, and you have a great day. Who day? All righty. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I always like talking to John. John's a really good uh, guy to follow on Twitter, and like I said, he watches or watch read his articles on Cincy Jungle. Check him out every Wednesday. At 8.30 on the Orange Black Insider Podcast. I think I'll get to the Facebook groups that let me live. Because I know the Reds have already started, so I don't even know if they're winning or not. Hopefully they are. Well, I don't know. It might be raining. <laughs> Who knows? But let's get get on out of here. Just like to fa- thank the uh, Facebook groups that let me live stream. And they are Hootay Nation, 
Bengals Nation, Bengals Hooday Nation, Cincinnati Bengals of the Jungle, Cincinnati Reds riding third, heading for home, Bearcat Country, the Ohio State Pokemons, the Ice Bar, and then if you want to find me or follow me on all my social media platforms, they're all under Sports with Strawberry Ice. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, also on TikTok. Uh, Twitter handle is at Jeff A. Trenopole. That's T-R-E-N-N-E-P-O-H-L. TikTok is at Iceman90. All of this is under Sports with Strawberry Ice. So just type that in. You should be able to find it. Uh, I put it on my TikTok. I put a lot of the videos that I took from the uh, Bengals Bridge uh, last week. Put them all up there. I took the video, some videos from what uh, was uh, the practice on Sunday when I was down there. Put that up there so you can check, check out the uh, my TikTok on there. It's just kind of cool stuff. Um, and then they got the video that was on my channel. You can check that out too from uh, Sunday's game. So uh, that brings you to the podcast. So if you guys uh, don't want to sit and watch me for an hour, you can listen to me. It's on the podcast. I'll be pulling a sound off later on tonight. And you can check it out on BeanPod, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, uh, Spotify, pretty much wherever you get your podcast. I'm there. So like I said, if you don't want to, Watch me. You can listen to me and John for an hour on the podcast. It is blowing up. I, the podcast is doing awesome. The YouTube channel is doing awesome. The YouTube channel, I'm up to 1,296 subscribers. My podcast, I'm getting lots and lots of downloads. I appreciate that. You guys uh, supporting the show, supporting what I do. Tell, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell about Sports with Strawberry Ice. And I got a pretty cool week planned this week. I, I have guests every day this week, so. It won't just be me talking to myself. I'll be talking to multiple people. So it should be a good week. Uh, tomorrow uh, is uh, Mike Sands, Bengal Sands on Twitter. He's going to be on tomorrow. He's a great guy to follow on Twitter. He also uh, has recently been hired on at uh, Cincy Jungle. So he got some articles and stuff there. So go check him out and listen to us tomorrow. And other than that, I got to get to my... After you see the stream yard changed stuff on me, so I can't get to it as fast as I used to. There, that's better. Other than that, as my co-host, whenever the hell he's gonna be back on the show, Jeremy D's nuts, Dimebag Dean. And yes, Jeremy, I'm calling you Jeremy D's nuts, Dimebag Dean, until you come back on the show. Would always say, remember one thing and one thing only, and that is you don't live in Cleveland, you live in Cincinnati, so act like it. Who day? Let's go, Reds. Hope they're going to kick Cleveland's ass. That'd be awesome. And that's just sports, baby. See ya! You're about to enter the world of strawberry ice and the ice cave. Let's go! You know, the league rule was you're not really supposed to. Really take him out of that conversation. He started from absolute scratch. I would draft Aziz Ojolari or any. Nobody's doing seven step drops in playing playing tackle for him. Right. It's 22 years old. Devonta Smith, same thing. You you, you just can't. You you can't do that. You can't do that. Thought that 2010 that he should be in the Hall of Fame, and they put him in after he is gone. Well, I want to fill the stadium. Yeah, I, I remember you guys saying that. It's crazy. Well, I, I see that he's taken uh, the non. But overall, that that line wasn't better. No, um, I, you know, they still... you know, he's talking to the refs and, and saying, "Hey, I'm not going to get those calls." He's, he's coming. He, he, what, he's oh, yeah. coming. He's going to be in section 158 with me. So we're... these guys have learned basically since they've been in the major leagues.